Hey everyone, it's Megan, the Family Finance Mom, adding a new weekly segment to Finance Explained. Now, in addition to the weekly deep dive episodes each season, I'll be posting Q&A replays two times a week. I host these sessions live on Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. over on Instagram. If you'd like to have your questions answered, look for the question box in my stories ahead of each session or join live and ask in the comments. But to make it easier for you to listen to the replays on the go, in segments, and at your convenience, you can now listen here. But first, this week's episode is brought to you by the Family Finance Mom Economic Workshop Series. So many of you have asked for more formal education on specific topics, and now you have it. The Economic Workshops are a series of six hour-long sessions each on a specific economic topic to grow and deepen your financial and economic literacy and give you the confidence to make solid financial decisions for yourself, your family, and your future. If you've ever wondered, is this a good time to buy a house, change jobs, save more, invest more, start a new business? Should I be taking a big risk right now or maybe I need to be more cautious? Understanding how the economy works as well as the state of the current economic environment as a whole, can help you form more informed decisions on all of the above. The Economic Workshop Series will arm you with all the economic know-how you need to do exactly that. The first workshop, What is a Recession?, covered the economic cycle and how recessions are a natural part, and fortunately the shortest part, of the cycle. We talked about leading and lagging economic indicators, past recessions, and more. The full replay is available now. The second workshop, What is Economics? Scarcity, the Free Market, Supply and Demand, will be live February 23rd and is open for enrollment now. You can participate in the live workshop or catch the replay at your convenience. Each workshop includes 45 minutes of instruction followed by your questions. Choose the topics you want to learn more about or save money and get all six sessions with the Economic Workshop Bundle, including immediate access to January's workshop replay on recessions. Visit FamilyFinanceMom.com or the link in today's show notes for details. Hey, Family Finance Moms, happy Monday and welcome to live Q&A. For those who are new, I'm Megan, the Family Finance Mom, and twice a week I hop on for about half an hour. Um, Forewarning, today will likely be longer than half an hour given all of the events going on in the world, Um, but usually I hop on for about half an hour to answer as many of your personal finance, economic, and market news questions as I can. As promised, today's discussion is going to start off with an explanation of what is going on with the SVB bank and the potential fallout and spillover to the broader American banking system. So I will start by kind of walking through some topics related to that. Then I will address specific questions that people submitted in the box last night with regard to that. And then if there's any time left over, which unfortunately I don't anticipate there being, I will try to get to some of the other questions that people submitted as well. Um, Full disclosure, the president is supposed to be speaking right now um, about and addressing the American public about kind of the solutions that the Fed and the Treasury came up with over the weekend to address this. And I'll get to those um, as we discuss that as well. Um, But I understand if you'd rather listen to the president right now than listen to me kind of explain all of this. Uh, But let me go ahead and dive in. 
So the first thing I want everybody to understand is how a bank works. Because in order to understand what happened last week, you need to understand that. So the way that a bank works is you go and companies and small businesses, they go to a bank and they put their deposits in the bank. That money then doesn't just sit there in a vault waiting for you to come and withdraw it at some point. The way that a bank makes money is they take your deposits and they invest them. They loan them out to other people in the form of personal loans, small business loans, um, but mostly banks are investing them in highly liquid, low risk things like US Treasury bonds, which most people out there would agree are kind of the least risky investments that there are. Um, they're backed by the federal government. You're guaranteed to get your money back along with the promised coupon payment, so long as you can wait out the time to maturity. So that's essentially how banks work. And the way that they make money is on the difference or also known as the spread between what they pay you for your deposit, you know, if it's in a savings account, for example, that interest rate that you're pay they're paying you versus what they can get paid on investing them or loaning that money out to someone else. So big picture, that's how a bank works. So what went wrong at Silicon Valley Bank last week? Um, and then since then, there's been another bank failure, which I'll talk about as well. So the first thing to understand is that Silicon Valley Bank had a very concentrated customer base. VC startups, so these are new businesses, they're higher risk businesses, they're businesses that had a huge influx of investment over the last, call it 2020 and 2021. Um, VC firms were making significant investments into companies because interest rates were so low and they were looking to generate returns. And so these businesses had a huge influx in cash over recent years, so prior to 2022. And as a result of that, those huge influx of cash those businesses were receiving resulted in a huge increase in deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, some of the numbers I've been seeing thrown out are that Silicon Valley Bank was the bank for 50% or more of VC-backed startups. So just think about that for a second. All of these fresh biotech and tech companies that were getting huge influxes of capital, this bank accounted for more than half of all of those customers. So that's significant concentration risk in a customer base. So. Because of that, and because of that concentrated customer base, the regulators are also saying that more than 90% of the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank were over the $250,000 FDIC limit. Now, that isn't to say that deposits can't exceed $250,000, but it's an important threshold to understand because deposits at institutions that are insured by the FDIC and I'll go over that in a little more detail in a moment, those deposits are typically protected up to $250,000, meaning that if a bank were to fail, as SVB did last week, that your money, those deposits are would be secured and fully insured and backed by FDIC coverage, and you would be made good on your deposit. That money would not be at risk of you know being lost. So, Big picture, their concentrated customer base, they had huge inflows and deposits over the course of 2020 and 2021. But then what has happened to VC-backed firms since then? In 2022, we saw 
um, tech stocks sell off significantly. We saw interest rates start to rise significantly. And so what you saw happen is that VC firms stopped investing money in VC companies. They started warning their companies to prepare to hold on to their cash as well as they could because most of these companies as startups, they're not profitable yet. And so they're burning through cash. So the money that they got invested in them from VC funding back in 2020 and 2021, they're now drawing down. Every time they make payroll, every time they pay rent, every time they pay their bill, they're pulling down on those cash deposits and the withdrawals were accelerating. And so if you saw that chart that I shared in my stories last night, and I'll share it again today, you can see kind of the trajectory of the deposit base at SVB, where they had a huge influx in deposits. And then over the course of 2022, there were net withdrawals, meaning the deposit base was drawing down. So what happens at a bank when there are withdrawals? Well, they have to take the assets that they've invested. So if they had investments in treasury bonds, and then to meet the withdrawals that people are giving them, they have to sell those assets in order to come up with the cash to meet people's withdrawal requirements. And so normally in a normal situation where things are business as usual, that wouldn't be a big deal. But here is what made it problematic. When you have a rising interest rate environment, remember that bond prices and interest rates move in opposite directions. So over the course of 2020 and 2021, when SVB Bank had these huge increases in deposits, they took that cash and largely invested it in US Treasury bonds, which are safe. They're backed by the federal government. Your risk of losing money on them so long as you can hold them to maturity is slim to none. But the problem comes in, what, where were interest rates in 2020 and 2021? They were near zero. We've seen the Fed hike interest rates faster than at any time over the last 40 years. And as those interest rates rise, the price on outstanding bonds that pay lower interest rates falls. And so because they were forced to sell bonds in order to raise cash to meet those withdrawals, they lost money. So they now have a gap between the book value or the market value of the assets that they have invested relative to the deposit obligations that they're about to have to meet. And SVB Bank was already meeting with bankers and planning to raise capital in order to bridge that gap. So they had already met with Goldman Sachs. They were planning a $2 billion capital raise. And relative to a bank that has assets of $200 billion, you're talking about 1%. The gap was relatively small. Um, but here's what happened and kind of accelerated the problem. They were contacted last week by Moody's. Moody's is a credit rating agency. So when companies go to issue debt, they have to get rated by credit rating agencies. So you could kind of liken it to um, when you're applying for a loan or you're applying for a credit card and a bank pulls your credit score, think of these as agencies that score businesses. And so Moody's is one of the two major credit, or technically there's three, but really two, Moody's and S&P are the two major credit rating agencies out there. And Moody's reached out to Silicon Valley Bank and said, hey, we're gonna announce that you're being downgraded, which means that you know your asset base is deteriorating relative to your deposits. 
and they give them 24 hours notice basically basically to get ahead of it because if a company if moody's comes out and announces that a company is having their credit downgraded particularly in the financial sector for a bank it can cause problems as we now have all seen and so they proactively came out and announced that hey we're going to be downgraded we're already in the process of raising capital in order to like bridge this funding gap um, however, the PR around it was not so great and it spooked both their customers, so the people that had deposits at the bank, as well as their shareholders. And so you saw their public share price trade off significantly and their customers basically all rushed to withdraw their money at once, which accelerated and exacerbated the issues that they already had. It's also known as a run on the bank. So if your investments, so their treasury bonds, are getting marked to market at lower prices. They have to sell them for less than they would realize if they could just wait out three months, six months, two years to their maturity and everybody rushes to withdraw money at once. There's not enough cash that they can raise quickly enough to meet all of those deposits. And that is what is commonly referred to as a run on the bank. Now, with time, they can realize those investments at maturity and likely meet all the obligations of their deposit holders. But deposit holders aren't waiting for that. They want their money and they want it now. And so they all show up to withdraw all at once. And that is kind of what is known as a run on the bank. So federal state regulators, because banks are technically regulated and overseen at the state level. So California state regulators stepped in on Friday, they closed the bank, and then they turned over the assets of the bank and the deposit obligations to the FDIC. Now, FDIC stands for Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They insure up to $250,000 per deposit per bank. The FDIC was established back in 1933 as a result of many of the bank failures during the Great Depression in order to prevent kind of a widespread banking panic and widespread banking failures from ever happening again. The money for FDIC coverage works just like insurance coverage elsewhere. It is paid for by the banks themselves. Banks pay for FDIC insurance coverage. That is where this pool of money is coming from. So when you hear the federal regulators saying this is not being paid for by taxpayers, it is not. It is coming from the pool of money that the FDIC has collected as essentially insurance premiums from banks all over the country that are designed to cover and make good on these deposits. And it's important to note that since the FDIC was created in 1933, not a single dollar of insured deposits has been lost. So everyone should take significant comfort from that. I got some questions about credit unions as well. You should know that something similar exists for credit unions as well. Um, so let me back up for a second. Now, the other thing that happened with SVB prior to regulators taking over is they tried to secure both private investment for their fundraise that they were trying to raise, but because the public market sold off so quickly, those private investors were like, nope, we're not touching this. They also tried to secure like a sale. So a sale of the bank would have raised immediate capital that would have allowed them to kind of secure all of their depositors and kind of in the run on the bank. That couldn't happen before regulators stepped in either. So both of those things happened and then the regulators stepped in on Friday and then the FDIC took over kind of over the weekend to make good on all of those deposits. 
So what happens now? Federal officials officially announced last night that all deposits will be protected in order to stem a banking panic and any contagion. So remember that 90 plus percent of the deposits at SVB were over that $250,000 threshold, which would have meant that they wouldn't get their money, that they would have to wait until assets could be sold and all of that um, could be handled. Um, the problem is that you know, a lot of those companies, so just to kind of put this in perspective, the customers at SVB Bank employed, so the, the businesses that were banking there, employ over 100,000 people. Them not have access to their cash means they can't meet payroll. They can't pay their rent. They basically have no money to operate. And so it's effectively a way to shut down the business. Someone's saying, unfortunately, the pool of money, the FDIC isn't big enough to cover business balances. Okay, but so that's what I'm saying is that federal regulators have now come out and said that they're going to insure all deposits. Now, some people are asking, is this a bailout of the bank? They are not bailing out SVB. The equity holders, the shareholders in SVB, unsecured creditors, they're not getting any money. So the value of their investments is now zero. The management of the bank has all been terminated. They are no longer affiliated with the bank. FDIC protects customers of the bank. They're protecting depositors of the bank. They're making good on their deposits. They are not bailing out the bank, just to be clear. Um, so, and the reason that they are doing this is because liquidity crisis and bank panics add a sense of urgency to the current economic environment. I've been saying for months, right, that like the Fed is raising rates to try to slow down the economy. And there's kind of continuously been this like sometime in the six, next six to 12 months, there's going to be a hard landing. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be a downturn. Having a liquidity crisis like this and a banking panic creates a much greater sense of urgency and says, okay, you know what? It's probably already here. And the risk of a recession has just increased dramatically. Um, and so, you know, it's to prevent things like those seized deposits preventing companies from not being able to make payroll. It's in 2008, there was kind of widespread banking panics that caused, like when you start to have a financial crisis, the impact is not just to Wall Street, it is extremely widespread to both Wall Street and Main Street, which is why federal regulators step in to kind of stem some of that panic, provide calm, prevent everybody, for example, when the market opens today at 9.30 from the whole financial sector like plummeting and to prevent everybody from showing up at their bank today and wanting to pull their money out. Let me just say that bank panic was not on my Fed watch checklist that I put out. I think I put that out on like Wednesday or Thursday of last week. That's how rapidly the situation deteriorated. Um, somebody's saying, it sounds like the bank was trying to do the right thing and the panic made it worse. That is exactly correct. Um, did the bank make mistakes? 100%. They were over-concentrated on their customer base, which made their deposit base more risky than a typical bank, which meant that they should have had more liquidity on hand in order to cover withdrawals. They basically under-projected how quickly those VC funded companies would be burning through cash and how quickly they would be making um, withdrawals. So somebody saying the amount the FDIC has isn't enough to cover the other deposits that are currently on deposit at other regional banks. 
25, okay, so they actually have a $100 billion fund. Um, and I realize that's not gonna cover deposits at all banks everywhere, but all banks everywhere are not at risk of kind of going belly up at this point. Um, that brings me to kind of the another point, which is that there was another bank failure over the weekend. Um, Signature Bank, which is a bank in New York, and it was a bank that was friendly and catered to cryptocurrency customers. So another situation where you have a highly concentrated customer base that has been in, experienced a period of distress where they are likely making withdrawals at a greater pace than most businesses. Um, and so that is another bank where they're, you know, addressing the similar situation. So let me see where we're at in our notes. Okay. So where does that leave things? I would say it is a reason to be cautious, but don't panic. One, and here's why. Savings rates have fallen for everyone. Think back, and this is true for both businesses and customers. Um, corporate profits are down year over year which likely means most businesses are drawing on cash instead of generating cash, in general, in aggregate. The other thing is that customer savings or consumer savings rates are falling as well. In 2020, in 2021, everybody was getting stimulus checks. There were unemployment benefits that in some cases exceeded the income that the average person would have made working. That resulted in extremely high savings rates and growth in deposits everywhere. Since then, with inflation, over the course especially of 2022, most people are spending more. We're seeing credit card balances um, you know, at their highest all-time level. People are drawing down on those savings. So there is some of this that is potential for industry-wide. However, it's not to the same degree in the concentration risk that it exists at some of these highly specialized regional banks, which I believe is really where the risk lies. The second thing that applies to all banks is that bond prices have fallen for all banks as interest rates have risen. So it's important that banks understand kind of what their liquidity requirements are so that they're not having to sell at below what they paid for these bonds to begin with. If you can live out the bond to its maturity, you will realize the full value of the bond. It's only if you have to sell early that you're going to take these marks that are negative and leave you with funding gaps. Um, but I think it's important to know that your deposits are protected. The FDIC guarantees deposits up to $250,000. Um, somebody's saying, but the panic from the few harmed the majority who weren't panicking. Yes, that is exactly right. But I think it's important to know that Silicon Valley Bank mostly banked VC-backed companies. So they had concentrated risk. Not like, for example, and I'm just picking a bank, um, whether you want to call it JP Morgan, that serves customers and businesses across many industries, across the entirety of the country. Um, think about what has been going on in tech in Silicon Valley over the last, call it, six months. That is very different. You know, when people talk about what's happening with employment, we've seen all these headlines about layoffs and things like that. They've all been concentrated in the tech sector. Why? Because tech companies are trying to preserve cash because they're burning through it so quickly and layoffs are the fastest way to do that. Um, so there is the risk that this has contagion that spills over to the broader economy, right? People are all now a little on edge and worried about their capital, about the security of their banking deposits. Um, 
my point to all of you is that so long as you have less than $250,000 in a national, um, well-diversified, highly capitalized bank, because in general, banks are far better capitalized right now than they were in 2008. So long as that is your situation, there is nothing to panic about. Um, and if there is a run on whichever bank, this is why the Fed and the Treasury stood up last night and said there is money to support the deposits of banks across America. Um, where that money will come from will come from either the Federal Reserve giving loans to various banks that they can help them ride through this crisis. It will come from the FDIC pool of funds that already exist to somebody who said they're worried there's not enough money. Well, that's where the Federal Reserve can step in and make loans to these banks. Um, the idea is that they're serving as stability and a sense of calm to avoid a wider spread, broader spread panic. Um, but I will also say uh, that this definitely will weigh into the Fed decision later this month, where we saw unemployment still remaining relatively low on Friday, 3.6%. Yes, it's a 0.2% increase from the month prior, but by historical contacts, that's still extremely low. Most people consider full employment to be somewhere around 4 to 4.5%. That allows for job switching. It allows for new um, employee entrance into the market and things like that. So to have it still be below four is still extremely low. That would have been a vote in favor for continuing to raise interest rates. Um, we're getting a CPI print tomorrow on kind of where inflation was at for February. Most people expect it to still remain elevated, which would have been a vote in favor of continuing to raise interest rates. Given this concern now and the stability of financial markets, which up until this point was not on the radar of the Fed discussion. If you read through their minutes, they would say, you know, the banking industry is stable and all of that. This is kind of a moment where, okay, maybe we need to pause. So prior to last week, if you had asked me, I, and especially given Fed Chair Powell's comments last week, I would have anticipated that not only were they raising rates at the end of March, but potentially going back to 50 basis point increases. There's now the potential that maybe they say, hey, we need to pause and make sure the banking industry is settled and secure. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how all of this uh, plays together. Um, okay, so let me kind of leave that as prepared remarks and then I'm gonna go to some of the questions that people submitted last night, specifically around the situation. Um, somebody's saying, where does the money for FDIC reimbursements come from? I touched on this already briefly, but think of it the same way you would think of like an insurance pool, like for your home insurance. FDIC is the insurance company provider. Banks pay premiums to FDIC to insure deposits so that when there may be a banking failure, they have a pool of assets to secure and backstop those deposits. That's where the money is coming from. If they exceed that deposit pool, if there is some mass you know, collapse and failure of banks and they don't have enough money for that, banks get assessed. So the, like the premium increase, the like premiums on that insurance will increase in order to bring that pool of money up higher. Um, so I hope that that helps. It says, our business is covered by 250K insurance also. Yes, it is the way that they, hold on. 
The way that it is explained is per depositor, per bank. So a depositor, it doesn't matter if you're an individual, it doesn't matter if you are, um, if you're an individual or you're um, a business, you could also, if you were like an umbrella company that had multiple LLCs, those might all be treated as different individuals because they're different depositors. Um, so that's kind of the way to think about how FDIC coverage works. And again, federal regulators have said specifically for SBB and Signature Bank, the two banks that failed over the last three or four days, that they are backstopping all deposits at the at those banks, um, not just up to the 250,000 um, minute. What do you do when you're running a business? 250K isn't enough to operate on on a monthly basis. You have to spread your funds out. Um, you would have to, that, and that is partially why these these banks had deposits that were over $250,000, um, because you're right, 250K isn't enough to operate on a monthly basis for some of these businesses. But it's important for you as uh, if you're running a, a sizable business where that is the case, you need risk officers that are assessing these things all the time. If you were putting all of your cash at SVB Bank, um, and not inquiring about the fact that like, if you're working at, for example, a startup and you know every single one of your contemporaries is all going through the same thing and all of you have your money at the same place, like as a risk manager, you would be like, hmm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Um, maybe I wanna have my money at Bank of America or at JP Morgan or at a very you know nationwide bank that is well diversified and um, highly capitalized and isn't going to face the same risk um, that is this concentration risk at SVB Bank. Um, that is part of your job as a risk manager to assess the risk of your, um, uh, what would be the word for it, your counterparties. Um, it's something that we do at, that we did at a hedge fund. Like having lived through this in 2008, I can tell you from experience at the fund I was at when the second we got wind that Lehman Brothers was in distress, that Bear Stearns was in distress, like all of those whispers start to come out like weeks to months before there's an actual collapse. Um, if, you know, things are coming out that say things like there was significant short interest rising in SVB for weeks leading up to this point. Um, if your risk manager wasn't monitoring and assessing that, they're somewhat asleep on the job. I will tell you that weeks ahead of when a bank actually collapses, there are whispers and rumors and things like that, that we were like, you know what? We're not taking this risk because as a hedge fund, that's not your money either. That is your investor's money and it's your responsibility to protect it. And so as soon as you hear that, you pull your money and you put it somewhere else. Um, which unfortunately is what creates these runs on the banks and exacerbates the problem. Um, somebody's saying, yes, unfortunately, some businesses need a banking relationship, therefore the need for regional banks is important. I don't deny the need for regional banks. However, there's more than one regional bank. And um, I would just say, be careful of that going forward, especially when everybody in a region is in the same business. Um, it just, you have too many risks that align together at the same time um, that exacerbates these types of events and exposures. And so, you know, you can have multiple banking relationships and that's incredibly important, um, especially as a business. 
Um, okay, let me go back and see what other questions are. Somebody's saying, it feels like the failing bank didn't take responsibility. They let it fail and regulators took over. So I wouldn't say that that's entirely true. Did they have failings? Did they make mistakes? Absolutely. Um, did they under, underestimate the rate of withdrawals that their customer base would have over the course of 2022? Highly likely, but so did everybody else, right? Nobody anticipated the Fed to raise rates as quickly as they did. For years, for all of 2021, you had the Fed and the government saying that inflation was transitory and it was temporary and that um, it would pass and it didn't. So did they do a poor job of kind of risk assessment? Yes. Did they not estimate things correctly? Yes. But so did the whole rest of the economy. Um, I wouldn't say they weren't, they didn't take responsibility. They were actually taking actions to shore up their balance sheet. And the reality is, is that they were, their hand was somewhat forced by the credit down rating be, that was going to be announced. And then when they announced that there was going to be a capital raise, that kind of exacerbated everything. And when people get wind and when there is a panic, it makes all these problems instantly worse because everybody comes to somebody saying they were really unlucky and all the, yes, all the VCs are connected. Absolutely. 100%. Just like all hedge funds and PE firms are connected. So if one person says, hey, this doesn't look so hot, everybody's gonna find out about it, which is another concentration risk, right? Like VC firms are all friends. They're gonna pull their money and they're gonna tell their friends that they told all their portfolio companies to pull their money and it's gonna spread like wildfire. <coughs> Excuse me. So you can't count on, you know, their job is to protect their money. like. You can't fault those businesses and those VC firms um, for doing that. That is their job. That is their fiduciary responsibility to their investors. So they're not gonna be like, hey, let's wait and see what happens. They're gonna say, hey, we can't risk losing a million dollars of cash in an environment where we're burning through cash and you know we can't afford that. So they're acting in their best interest and I don't fault them for one second for wanting to get their money out. Um, okay, let's see what else. Shouldn't the bank have known it was failing and do something in advance? So I think we kind of touched on that. They were taking actions to do that. Um, and basically the panic exacerbated all of that and gave them a far shorter timeline and they couldn't make it happen in time. Um, okay, is the bailout for the failed bank really not costing taxpayers or will it essentially be passed on through bank fees and higher interest rates? So we touched on this, I think, a few times already. All of that being said, you will likely see um, people potentially choosing to buy into bonds directly themselves, to manage their liquidity directly themselves. Remember, if you have more buyers of bonds, that pushes the price of bonds down further and that does push rates up higher. So that is a market impact of costs that will be borne by everybody. Um, but to say where federal officials are saying it's not gonna be borne directly by taxpayers, meaning that the federal government through Congress is not committing um, federal tax dollars to it. Uh, that isn't to say that there won't be spillover costs that aren't ultimately borne by consumers, like if there are higher FDIC premiums going forward in order to shore up the fund again after bailing these things out. There's always going to be spillover costs from it. 
but they're not going to be costs that are directly borne by taxpayers. They will be indirect costs to consumers. So to that, you know, there will be costs, but at this point they're saying it's not gonna be shouldered by taxpayers, at least not directly. Um, okay, so at this, uh, somebody else is saying, with SVB collapsing, how likely could this increase the chance of a recession? I think this very much increases the chance of a recession. I think it also very much is likely that um, data will show we may already be in a recession. Um, there's a bunch of things that are showing kind of, you know, softening of the labor market. Yes, unemployment rate is still extremely low, but we are starting to see claims tick up. We're seeing continuing claims tick up. And remember, these are lagging indicators that accelerate rapidly in a downturn. <coughs> and it's not until after the fact that people come out and say, oh, by the way, the recession started at this point. Things like this, events like this happening, point to the fact that we are highly likely already in a recession, and if not, this definitely accelerates the likelihood of it. Um, I will say, on that front, it's kind of good news, bad news. We need a recession. We need the economy to cool off in order to put inflation firmly in its place. So until a recession happens, the Fed is going to continue to hike rates higher and higher. You're going to see more events like this um, as a response to that. And so once we actually have a recession and everything is kind of like flushed out, which is what a recession does, it's sort of like, think about like the seasons of the year, right? Like winter is dark and dreary, but it serves a purpose. And once the winter has passed, spring comes and everything grows and blooms again. The same is true of a recession. A recession is a downturn. It allows capital be, to be reallocated to the most appropriate and best use. Um, it causes businesses that shouldn't be in business anymore to fail, that labor can be redistributed, Those capital, that capital and those assets and those buildings and facilities and resources, those all get redistributed to a more efficient purpose. That is how recessions work. I'm not trying to be non-empathetic. I'm not trying to say that there isn't pain and economic suffering as a result of downturns, but it lays the groundwork for the future recovery and growth going forward. Um, but things like this, these events like this, are all an example of that. And they are all an indicator that we are likely in or headed for a recession relatively in relatively short order. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Somebody's saying it sure has been easier to find employees lately. So that is just an example of like why recessions help alleviate some of this inflationary pressure. So you're seeing it kind of like firsthand. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Let me just make sure we didn't miss it. I did not get to any of the non-SBV questions this morning, but that's okay because I think this is important for people to understand. Um, somebody's saying, why can't they just sell their assets? Why did the FDIC have to step in? So this is a really smart question. The reason they can't just sell all their assets is because of how quickly it is happening. Yes, treasuries are highly liquid, but remember, so say they bought a two-year treasury bond. Two-year treasury bonds a year ago, and I'm making this up off the top of my head because I don't know exactly, but two-year treasury bonds, say a year ago, were trading at 1%. Today, they're trading at closer to 4%. That then has an impact of making that bond, 
instead of it being, you know, a thousand dollar bond, when they sell it, maybe you're only going to get, and I'm making this up as well, maybe you're only going to get $850 or $800. And so you have a $200 shortfall on that. And so, yes, you could sell all of that, but you still might come up short in meeting your deposits. And so if the bank could have waited another year, they would have gotten their full thousand dollars back on that bond and there would be no shortfall to meet their deposits. And so by having regulators step in, like essentially what will happen is somebody will take those assets, somebody will take the time to realize the full value of those assets and they have the backstop, you know, whether it's the FDIC who's gonna manage that process or whether they're gonna sell it to somebody who's better capitalized who can write it out and will, you know, see the, val the full value of those assets over time. But it couldn't happen in a 48 hour period when everybody's showing up, right? Somebody's saying they didn't have the time for maturity and it was a timing issue. So a better capitalized bank, um, a better capitalized investor can step in and take over. And that's essentially what the FDIC is trying to do. They put the bank up for auction over the weekend. Um, I don't think we touched on this yet. They put the bank up for auction over the weekend. It looks like HSBC has already stepped up with a billion dollars to buy the UK arm of SVB Bank. And they're looking for something similar to happen on the rest. Even if nobody buys it, the FDIC will kind of manage this process, all right? They're gonna make good on depositors. They're going to take the assets and realize the full value of those assets as they come to maturity over time, or they'll sell off the various pieces in order to realize funding to make themselves whole. The people who are going to lose in this situation are the shareholders of the bank. Their stock is essentially now worth zero um, and any unsecured creditors. So an unsecured creditor is just anybody that didn't have like some sort of seniority or some sort of asset-backed security, something like that. Um, so I hope, let me just make sure there weren't any other questions. Somebody's saying they need to change the reporting of the balance sheet. They do need to change reporting of balance sheets and there are some mark to markets that do happen, meaning like you have to mark your bonds to market. However, remember that reporting is quarterly in most cases. Um, both to like regulatory, you know, banks aren't necessarily reporting. In some cases, they're reporting on a daily basis to some regulatory officials. Um, but from an investor, from a customer facing perspective, that reporting really is only happening on a quarterly basis. And so in a current environment like this, where interest rates are rapidly changing, where the business conditions are rapidly changing, especially like um, there's a lot of seasonality sometimes in business. And so Q4 is usually the best performing quarter for many businesses. And Q1 is usually when customers burn the most cash. Like if you think about like a retailer, for example. Um, so from a seasonality perspective, Q1 is usually like the period that is most difficult financially for businesses to kind of ride through. You're coming off like having heavier employment, having a lot of cash generation in Q4, and then you're trying to kind of like right size the ship in Q1 as things subside. And what you actually will notice kind of like through history is that many, many recessions will say that the peak was like in Q4 and the recession began in Q1. And that's part of why is because of like the seasonality of just how many businesses operate. Um, 
kind of like that's when the tide goes out is in Q1. And if businesses aren't prepared for that and they didn't have the best Q4, which is the case for many businesses in the last year, um, you know, that just, it, you can't hide it anymore, kind of come Q1 when things slow down. Um, okay, somebody's saying, yes, they knew there was stress in December. Exactly. So, all right, let's see what else. I just want to make sure I get to all the SVB questions before I end today's session. Um, somebody's saying, if the government pays out all depositors, does that incentivize riskier deposits? So in general, like deposits shouldn't be risky, right? For most people, when you're putting a deposit into a bank, that's sort of like you expect that money to be there. I guess what you might say is like, could this change the risk behavior of businesses? Might they put all their their um, deposits in one place? And you know, somebody here was saying they already had 40 accounts spread out to limit their risk. Um, could you have more concentration of deposits? I would argue if anything, most people over the weekends, um, and I would put personal households in this category as well, because I had friends reach out to me and ask about this. Most people, this situation, is causing them to diversify their deposit base further. Because while federal regulators in these two situations have said they will backstop all deposits, um, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they will do that for any more failures that come in the weeks or months that follow. And if we go back to 2008, yes, there were large bank failures, but there were hundreds more small regional bank failures. And so, Somebody's saying if you had more than 250K in a regional bank right now, would you personally move the excess? Yes, 100%. Um, only because that is simply not a risk worth taking, nor is it a risk that you need to take. Um, and so, you know, protect yourself. Like, don't think that somebody else is gonna, don't think that the government or somebody else is gonna step in and protect you. You need to protect yourself. So if you personally have more than 250K in a regional bank right now, and even any bank, um, to be honest, it's worth it just to spread it out um, to the extent that you can uh, in order to make sure that it is insured and protected. Um, and so there's probably going to be calls for more regulation on banks in the coming weeks. There's probably going to be more fallout from this in the weeks that follow. One of the things that is going to happen, and you're already seeing this happen, especially with regional banks on the West Coast, is pre-market, there were some reports that like their shares were already down pre-market like 60%. So here's the problem is that if those banks need to raise capital, their equity is now worth half of what it was last week, which makes their ability to shore up their balance sheet all the more difficult. Um, and then at the same time, if they are having these like liquidity shortfalls and there are, are people racing to come and take out withdrawals and diversify their deposits, you can see how that kind of like exacerbates the situation. Um, yes, somebody else is saying, but 250K in the 80s or 2008 isn't the same as it is today. They need to raise the limit. That's something else that should be considered as well. And it is a limit that has been raised over time. I'm not sure of kind of the trajectory of that. But yeah, there's things like this that especially in an inflationary environment start to rear their head as to like, okay, you know, 
like you said, $250,000 isn't what it used to be. Um, okay, so I'm way over the 30 minute mark. I hope that I answered people's questions. I hope that I assuaged some fears and hopefully you're not in a panic now, um, but hopefully you're act informed and aware and you know what I would be doing this morning if you had large cash balances somewhere, whether you're a small business or whether you're an individual, is pull up the financials on the banks that you're at. Look at their balance sheet. Look at what they say about who their customers are. Um, you know, find out this information for yourself before they're a headline, basically, is what I would say. Um, Somebody else is saying, I expect there will be more bank fallout when regulators squint at balance sheets and banks reclassifying assets as held to maturity, which don't need to be marked to market. That could be as well. Um, but I have a feeling that regulators are going to be scrutinizing more carefully, more closely, the valuation of balance sheets, um, the risk profile of the assets that people are having on balance sheets, and making sure those balance sheets are carefully marked to market. Um, another thing potentially as well is like, you know, if banks are invested in private assets, sometimes those also, they can drag their feet on marking them to market. And the reality, especially if you had investments in VC funds out on the West Coast, is that somebody's saying, how do we pull up a bank balance sheet? So if the bank is publicly traded, you can literally go to sec.gov you can type in their ticker and you can pull up their most recent, in this case, for most banks, it would be their 10K, which would tell you through 1231. Um, we won't have through 331 until Q1 earnings come out and that won't be probably for like another six weeks. Um, but that would be the easiest place to start for a publicly traded company. Um, I started this weekend, but didn't get very far kind of poking around on the FDIC website to see what kind of filings are there by banks. I will take a look into that a little more to see what else is out there. But by and large, most banks are publicly traded, unless you're with somewhere really small or like at a credit union that is owned by the membership. So that's where I would start is, you know, pull up that and then you could kind of read through the MDNA and see what they're saying about all of these things. So it is something that is going to, you know, this will not, I will say this will not be the last bank failure, most likely in the current environment, just given what is happening with interest rates. Um, and so, you know, be aware and don't wait until your bank is a headline to make your moves. And if you are worried about your bank, I would say don't feel bad if you move the entirety of your deposit, for example. Um, if you are at one of the you know, top four or five major national banks, this isn't something I would lose a ton of sleep over, but that being said, I would still kind of make sure your deposits are well diversified. Um, you know, It gets into this whole debate of what is too big to fail. And these were conversations that were had back in 2008 too. Um, and nobody thought some of those banks would fail and some of them did. And some of them were not commercial banks um, or customer facing banks like, or retail customer facing banks the way that like SVB is. It was, you know, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers who are really like institutional investment banks. Um, but in this case, it could, you know, impact everybody. So with that all being said, I'm gonna go ahead and cut it here. 
This replay will be posted in its entirety here on my video feed. The audio will also be posted on my podcast, Finance Explained, and I'm sure there will be more questions and follow-up to come. If I did not get to your question, um, if I did not get to your question that was un-SVB related, hold it and ask it again on Wednesday and um, I will take it then. So have a great rest of the week. These are uncertain, difficult, unsure times. Be cautious, but also know, and I wanna stress this is really important, is that periods of economic downturn, periods of uncertainty, periods of economic turmoil, create tremendous opportunity and lay the groundwork for the future recovery. So if you can protect yourself, if you can be well capitalized to ride out the period of uncertainty, you will come out on the other side in a much better place. So when you have these periods of distress, that's what I would like to remind people of is that, you know, that's what emergency funds are for. That's why having cash on the sidelines is, is for. Um, and these are what create huge buying opportunities that lay the groundwork going forward for a recovery. So have a great rest of the week. Oh, I keep trying to cut it off and then remember things to share. So a couple things just to highlight, there is a lot of data coming out this week that will also contribute to the Fed's decision this month. A couple things is CPI comes out tomorrow, so we'll be watching for that. I'll be sharing in stories today, kind of a summation of the employment data that came out last Friday. Um, we'll also get the latest on housing starts in the housing market. That'll come up out toward the latter half of this week. On Wednesday, we get data on retail sales for February, which will give us an indication kind of of how consumers are doing. Um, so lots more data points kind of on the economic environment that will come out this week. My expectation is probably leaning towards things getting worse and weaker um, and pointing further to the likelihood that we're either already in or entering soon into a recession. So not a great note to land on, but remember that recessions pave the way for the future recovery. So have a great rest of the week. I will see y'all back here on Wednesday at 9 a.m. again. Thanks for listening to this Q&A replay. As a reminder, to have your questions answered, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Family Finance Mom and look for the question box in my stories ahead of each live session or join live Q&A at 9 a.m. Eastern every Monday and Wednesday. Any resources mentioned in today's replay can also be found in today's show notes.